time after service. All right, let's get right into the word. John chapter 5 and verse 1, it says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folks, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For the, an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in and was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Verse 5 tells us that there was a certain man that was there, and he had an infirmity 38 years. 38 years had his infirmity. And then Jesus showed up, and Jesus saw him lying and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? I love how this is phrased in the Living Bible translation. It goes like this. This question he asked, he says, Would you like to get well? And that's the question I want to ask us today. I believe it's the question the Lord is asking us today. Would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? In the name of Jesus. Let's go before the Lord in prayer for this message. God, we ask that your word today would be spoken with power and anointing through the Holy Ghost. That this would not be words of man's wisdom alone, but this would be your spirit communicating to us. And that you, through your spirit, Lord, we would receive understanding. Understanding that would be applied to our life, that would change our life. It would change our future. It would impact our tomorrows. I ask, Lord, that you would have your way here. That your will would be done here as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Would you say amen today? Amen. You can be seated in the sanctuary. Would you like to get well? That was the question that he was asking that man that day. People across our world seek wellness and they seek wholeness. In fact, across the world, there are popular places that people seek wellness. Uh, a lot of them involve water. And if you consult the Oracle Google, you can find some of those places, and I did some of that. First place, one that's very popular is in Israel, it's the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, it's the lowest place on earth. It's the Salt Lake, and it's long been touted for its health-giving properties, the mud that's there, and people put it over their face and over their body, and there's healing properties. And others, and here in the United States, in New York, Saratoga Springs, it's alleged to treat skin conditions and help with digestive problems and all around just make you feel better. Visitors have come to what they say take the cure since the 1700s. Another one is in northern Tuscany. It's Saturnia. And the thermal springs there are said to have healing effects due to the large qualities of minerals such as calcium, magnesium, sulfur, and iodine. Uh, it looks like a place I want to go personally. Maybe we need to have a life group that goes to Saturnia. Um, 
get into the healing waters there. Another one is the Hierapolis in Turkey. There are the springs. They foam and drip slowly down the vast mountainside, flowing into the pools. And for centuries, people have gathered at the blue waters for healing powers. And uh, so we could travel there. That looks like another great place to, to have a field trip. We could spend time traveling the world looking for healing in the pools across this world. Or I've got another idea. You can just step into the presence of the Almighty God here at Westminster Apostolic Church, and God will heal you. Does anyone believe it today? That there is a healing God in the sanctuary. That there is a Lord that sees you right where you are, and he will heal you. We also read in our text another pool, the pool of Bethesda. We read about it in John chapter 5. It literally means the house of mercy or the house of grace. Wouldn't that be a, I was thinking about this, wouldn't it be a great name for a church, Bethesda, the house of mercy, the house of grace? I, I just think that would be a good name for a church. I believe it's God's will that we are that house of of mercy and that house of grace embodied in as the church of the Almighty God, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, that we, as we gather together, we offer mercy and grace to others, as well as be a place that anyone can come and find mercy and grace at the, at the, at the, in the presence of Almighty God. And so this is to be a, a Bethesda to our world and to our city. And around that pool each day, it tells us that they're laid all kinds of sick folks, impotent folks, it says. They were waiting for the moving of the water because what happened is that the first person that dipped in that water, they were cured of their infirmity. Something special and unique was happening there. If you study it, people have different opinions of what was happening. And I'm not here to debate what was taking place, but what I do know is that there was healing that was happening in that pool that something special was taking place. and There were people lying around all over, and there, there were five porches. And in those porches laid people that needed help. The first person that got to the water, they were cured. The people that were there, they were people that maybe were not the heroes of their society, you could say. They were helpless people. They were crippling, they were crippled with addictions and, and they had binding ambition, ambitions and paralyzing conditions. They were the outcasts of their society. They had a desire for life change, yes. That's why they were there. They were persistent. They were laying there hoping that today would be the day, that this would be the season that the angel troubles the waters and I will be first. But the problem with Bethesda was that it only worked for one person, the first person. It worked for some, but not all. You had to be swift. You had to get there quick. You had to be the first one in the pool. And so what that meant is that while there was one whose life was changed, there were many left in the porches by the pool unchanged, many discouraged and disappointed. We read of one of those men. He's called the impotent man, the lame man that was laying by that pool. He saw time after time others receiving their healing, others' life being changed while he laid there day after day 
year after year the same way, crippled by an infirmity for 38 years. 38 years that man laid there, 38 years at least he had his infirmity. We don't know how long he had laid in that space by that pool, but we can assume that it was for a long time. We don't know much about him. We don't even know his name. We don't know his background or his age. We don't know what happened to him to bring him to that place. There may have been a time, though, that he was healthy. We can assume that there was a time that he may have had promise, that he was a young man of potential. He may have even been athletic. He could have been popular. He could have had friends. He may have had a promising future. But something happened to that man that brought him physically and emotionally to his knees. It may have been from his own doing, or it may have been from the actions of others. We don't know his past. We don't know what brought him to that place. But what we do know is that he was a broken man. He had become incarcerated to his infirmity. He'd become chained to a way of life, chained and bag. He had taken on baggage to his life, and, and he was held down by the, this way of living and this, this infirmity that he had that was controlling his life. It limited his potential. It, it choreographed his future. His life had been reduced to laying beside a pool, hoping for something that he could not receive because he was not swift. He could not get there on his own. He was helpless, and he was hopeless, and he was laying beside the pool of Bethesda, outside of the house of mercy, outside of the house of grace. We don't know exactly, as I said, how long he had been there, days, months, years. We do know he had 38 years of pain, though, 38 years of shame, 38 years of brokenness and fruitlessness. 38 years of terror. Has anyone been there, experienced when, when life did not go the way you thought it would go? Anyone been there when you've experienced pain, when you've experienced brokenness, when you've experienced a life that, that you did not expect? That's what he experienced for 38 years. 38 years tied down to his brokenness identified with his infirmity. 38 years of baggage, 38 years of pain, and his infirmity had become his identity. We don't know his name. What we do know is that he was the impotent man. He was the lame man. That was his title. That was his description towards us. When others saw him, they did not see the man of promise the young man of potential they saw a man that was lame a man that was broken a man that had baggage a man that was laying there with no future they passed by him they went on with their life they passed him by even maybe some church folk maybe some righteous folk they they passed him by and he laid there in his shame in his pain in his brokenness in his fruitlessness but into a helpless, 
and hopeless situation into a powerless man's life walks Jesus Christ onto the scene. And I'm just thankful for the time when Jesus walked into my life. Is there anyone else thankful for when Jesus walked into your story and walked into your life? We preach a Jesus that takes, takes great concern on our lives, who walks in the midst of our story and in our brokenness and in our helplessness. He still shows up for us. When the rest of the world turns their back on us, Jesus walks right to us. And Jesus enters the pool of Bethesda porch. He steps into the area and he walks with intention. He walks with determination. And he walks to the lame man. He walks to the impotent man. He walks into a place that most reputable religious leaders would not walk in that day. He walked into a smelly place to the disenfranchised and to the helpless. He walked into a disease-ridden place and into an infectious place. It was a place filled with people with little hope, with the outcasts. It was filled with the, not with the up-and-comers, it was filled with the down-and-outers. This was a place for people that no one else wanted to deal with. This was the place for the broken, for the lame, for the impotent, for the sick folk. The place for the sick people, for the broken people, for the afflicted people, for people with dilemmas and crisis, for people that needed help. It was the place for them. They gathered around that pool that house of mercy, that house of grace, and they tried to jump it in. Why is it that Jesus chooses to hang out in places like that? Why, when we read Scripture, do we not see Jesus hanging out in the palaces at all times? Why is it that we don't see Jesus hanging out always with the up-and-comers and, and with, with those with promise and prestige? Why is it that we read about a Jesus who isn't just focused with the elite of the society, but rather with the lowly? <laughs> it's because Jesus sees something in all of us, that all of us are broken in some way, that all of us are, have issues in our life and all of us have baggage in our life all of us have context to our stories not a one of us in this house has it all together not a one of us in this house is perfect and in the eyes of God none of us are the elite none of us have it all together Jesus sees you today he knows everything about you he knows about your public persona as well as your private life. And he knows about that secret life that no one else may know about. He knows every little detail of your life. Just as he knew the details of the lame man. He knew the details of his story. He saw him every day that he laid his head down on the stone, on his mat, closed his eyes, and hoped for a better day tomorrow. 
He saw him every day. He opened his eyes. And every day when the water troubled and he stretched for it, but he could not make it there. God saw him in that moment. He saw him in his most broken state, in his most helpless state. He saw him at his worst. He saw him when he possibly cursed God and cursed his life and cursed his family and those that had abandoned him. He saw him in that place. He saw him in his worst of moments, just like he sees you in your worst moments. Just the way that God sees you when you have just about lost hope. When you've just about given up, God sees you in that moment. When you wonder, is it worth believing in a God that hasn't answered my request? God hears that thought and he sees you in that moment. When you question, should I go to church Sunday? And then again on Next Sunday and the next Sunday, should, should I, should I? Is it really doing anything for me? Am I really making progress in my life? Those questions that we have that are natural, that many of us have, and is it worth giving the effort if I'm not seeing the return right now? Those questions that are very real in our society and very real probably in this house today, God sees those thoughts and hears those thoughts, and he, he knows right where you're at. He knows you. He knows you on the mountain and he knows you in the valley. He knows you when you feel like no one else knows who you are really deep down inside. Jesus, as I said, does not spend his time with people that have it all together because there's none of us that have it all together. Jesus, though, does spend his time with those that know that they don't have it all together and are seeking a change in their life. People that know that they are not perfect, but there is a God who is perfect. There is a God who does see them, a God who does love them, a God who does care for them. Jesus walked in to that man's life that day because he brings his power to those who need his power. I'm going to say that again. He brings his power to those who need it. He brings his power to those who are in trouble, to those that are afflicted. He brings his power to those who can't Get to the house of mercy by themselves. And God sees you right where you're at today. He knows you and he loves you. And maybe you feel like you're not making any progress in your life and you aren't taking steps forward. You just can't get it together. You just can't get yourself together. You try, but you fail. Then you try again, and you fail again. And maybe you're like the lame man who wakes up every day, and you see the troubling of the water. You see others getting your healing, and you wonder, will I ever be made whole? Will I ever be well? And I'm here to tell you that when 
The lame man couldn't get to Jesus. Jesus came to the lame man. And if you're here today and you can't achieve perfection on your own and you can't achieve mercy on your own, there is a God who sees you and is coming for you. There is a God who knows right where you're at and you're not going to be there alone because he is coming your direction. He came for the lame man just like he's coming for you today. When Jesus comes in, he just asks him a question. He says, do you want to get well? Would you like to get well? Would you like to be made whole? Would you like to be made whole? I believe God is asking that question in this house this morning. He's speaking it to the down and outers. He's speaking it to the helpless and the hopeless. He's speaking it to those that have served him and those that have not served him. He's speaking to those who have history, those who have context in your life. He's speaking to every single one in this room, and he's asking you in the, in the areas of your life that need help and need, need healing, would you like to be well? Would you like to be made whole? The answer seems obvious, doesn't it? Of course. Yes, I want to be made whole. Absolutely. But what he is saying here is, sir, you don't know me, but I'm willing to make you whole. Are you willing to allow me to make you whole? God is desiring your willingness. Someone hear this this morning. God is desiring your willingness for him to make you whole. And God is not going to force your hand. But he wants to make you whole. He wants to bring healing to your sickness. He wants to bring freedom to your baggage. He wants to bring wholeness to your half-heartedness. He wants to heal you. He just needs to know one thing. Are you willing? But my condition is not my fault. That's not the issue. Are you willing? But you don't know how long I've felt this way. Are you willing? But you don't know what I'm hiding. Are you willing? You don't know that secret life that no one else knows about. He's asking today, are you willing? You don't know how many times I've prayed and how many times I've sought for my healing that's not what he's asking. He's asking today, are you willing? Are you willing? If you want to be well today, you first have to be willing. And the unspoken message in Jesus' question is that we sometimes must pay a price to get well. You have to be willing to surrender every excuse that you could ever have. 
You've got to be willing to let go of yesterday to receive tomorrow's healing. You've got to be willing to let go of yesterday to receive the healing you're to receive in the moment. God is not concerned necessarily just with your past. He's desiring your willingness in the now. God is asking someone in this house today, are you willing today? Are you willing today? I was willing yesterday and the healing didn't come. I tried getting to the waters yesterday and my healing, someone else got there first. Someone else got their healing, but I am still the same. He's not asking you about yesterday. He's asking you about today. He's asking the question, would you like to be well? Would you like to be whole? Are you willing to put your faith in a God that you cannot see, but a God that can very well see you and that can heal you. Jesus is asking the question, would you like to be well? Verse 7, the intimate, impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but, I, but while I am coming, another steppeth before me. And in his response, the man focuses on his obstacles to his healing. He says, I can't get to the pool of Bethesda by myself. In other words, he's saying, I can't get to the house of mercy by myself. I can't get to the house of grace by myself. I can't do it by myself. And our problem sometimes is that we try and get well by ourselves. We try and do it on our own. We try and do a lot of self-help work to get ourselves to a place where we think God will be pleased with us. But God is not desiring for you to get well on your own. You can't make it to the house of mercy by yourself. You can't make it to the house of grace by yourself. But God's not looking for that. He's looking for you because he's coming to you. Grace and mercy are coming to your house today. Grace and truth are knocking on your door. The truth is you were never meant to get your healing by yourself. God is to take you and God is to heal you in the presence, in his presence. You don't have to have it all together to come to God. God comes to you when you don't have it all together. You don't have to have live in a state of perfection for God to be pleased with you. God is pleased with you when you are taking a step of faith, saying, I know that I've not been perfect, but with God, all things are possible. My past is forgiven. My sins are no more. And tomorrow and today, I'm taking a step of faith. God sees you and he desires you to take a step of faith. When he did not have it all together, when he could not get to the pool of Bethesda, the true Bethesda came to him. The true house of mercy, the God of grace, looked him in the eye and said, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. He did not just heal the man. I want you to hear this today. He challenged him. He challenged him. He challenged the lame man to do something that lame men cannot do. He challenged the man who could not walk to get up and take a step. 
He challenged the man that felt like he was, he was prisoner to his condition to make a change in his life. And you may be here and you feel a prisoner to your past. You feel lame that you cannot get up and take a step forward. God is asking you and challenging you to give him an opportunity to heal you. To give him an opportunity to change your life. Because on his own, he could not do it. But with the presence of the Almighty God, anything is possible. In God's presence, everything can happen. Anything can happen. And God said, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And the strength he needed to take his step, it was found in his obedience to the word of the almighty God. Your strength is found in your obedience to God's voice. Your strength is found in your obedience to his word. You can't do it on your own. But you were never asked to do it on your own. You were never asked to achieve freedom by yourself. Whether you're sick, whether you are in bondage to chains and sin, you don't have to fight the battle by yourself. You don't have to get to the pool by yourself. You don't have to crawl to Bethesda by yourself. Bethesda is coming to you today. Mercy and healing and truth is coming to you today. And this is the order of his healing. First, Jesus spoke the word. Second, the man heard the word. Third, he believed the word. Fourth, he acted on the word. And finally, immediately, someone say immediately. He was made whole and he took up his bed and it tells us that he took a step. And then it tells us he took another step. And then he went forward another step. And then on Monday he took a step. And on Tuesday he took a step. And I'm here speaking to someone that Monday and Tuesday is going to be your day to take a step forward. You are not a prisoner of your past. You are a person of promise for your future. God sees you and he's asking you today, do you want to be well? Do you want to take a step tomorrow? Do you want to take a step today and the day and the day after that? Do you want to be well? Because I will heal you. Would you stand today? Satan wants though to make you think that healing is impossible. He wants you to think that renewal and restoration are impossible. He wants you to be convinced that your story is already written. That you are a citizen of the porch. That you are a citizen of your past. That your life is what it is and it's never going to change. That you're too far gone. That you cannot be restored. Satan wants you to believe that your healing is impossible. That you're just to move on. And you're to go forward in your faith. Now I must admit, there are times. There are times that God is in the middle of working on us. And maybe the person next to us receives our, their healing. And God's just asking us to trust him as we take steps of faith forward. But that does not mean that God does not see you. Wherever you are on your journey. 
And here at West Winter Apostolic Church, we believe in that God works in multiple ways. He works in the suddenly, that immediately he got up and he walked, that suddenly, we hear that, we read that in scripture in the New Testament over and over. And I believe that God is gonna heal somebody today suddenly that immediately you're going to walk out of this place. You're going to lay down your baggage. You're going to go forward, and you're not going to return anymore. I believe that. Does anyone have faith to believe God can still do that? Do you believe that today? But there are also moments that God works in the process, and that every day he is asking you just to take a step, and then another step. And so God gives you strength day by day by day. This is what I don't want you to miss. He's given strength whichever way he works. You're not doing it by yourself. And God will be there with you in the suddenly healing and in the process of healing because he's given you strength in the moment and strength for the the tomorrow. But I'm going to open up this altar today for every single one of us because every single one of us have areas in our life that we need to be well, don't we? Am I the only one today? I think all of us have areas in our life that we need the help of Almighty God. And so I'm going to invite you to this front. And I'm also going to ask you, when Satan wants you to believe that healing is impossible, and that freedom is impossible. I want to ask you, whose report will you believe today? Will you believe the liar, the accuser of the brethren, the one who all he does is lie and is going to speak to you right now and say, he's not talking to you?